Hi, welcome to Pitt Town Church. We are so glad that you're listening to this podcast. We pray that this sermon encourages you in your walk with Jesus. If you would like more information, check out our website at www.pitttownchurch.com. Tonight's Bible reading comes from John chapter 4, starting at verse 1 and going to verse 26. When Jesus knew that the Pharisees heard he was making and baptizing more disciples than John, though Jesus himself was not baptizing but his disciples were, he left Judea and went again to Galilee. He had to travel through Samaria, so he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the property that Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, worn out from his journey, sat down at the well. It was about six in the evening. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Give me a drink, Jesus said to her, for his disciples had gone into town to buy food. How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? She asked him, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered, If you knew the gift of God and who is saying to you, give me a drink, you would ask him and he would give you living water. Sir, said the woman, you you don't even have a bucket and the well is deep. So where do you get this living water? You aren't greater than our father Jacob, are you? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and livestock. Jesus said, everyone who drinks from this water will get thirsty again. But whoever drinks from the water that I will give him will never get thirsty again, ever. In fact, the water I will give him will become a well of water springing up from within him for eternal life. Sir, the woman said to him, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and come here to draw water. Go call your husband, he told her, and come back here. I don't have a husband, she answered. You have correctly said, I don't have a husband, Jesus said. For you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. Sir, the woman replied, I see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, yet you Jews say that the place of worship is, is in Jerusalem. Jesus told her, Believe me, woman, an hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, because the salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming and is now here when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. Yes, the Father wants such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. I am he, Jesus told her, the one speaking to you. Alrighty. Good to see you guys. You've made the right decision to be here at church and I'm excited to be diving deeper into this part of God's word. So why don't you join with me as I pray before we dive in. Heavenly Father, we just thank you that we can gather here tonight and we just thank you that you are the God who speaks And we just pray now that you would soften our hearts and you would show us more and more of your son, Jesus. Please do this for your glory in his name. Amen. 
Well, I know there's a little bit of debate going on, maybe not in your family, but in some families as to what like sibling number is the ultimate sibling number. Like I'm out, I, I come from a family of four and I feel like the first sibling will kind of tell the other siblings that they're the best. Um, not to give away what number I am, but the second sibling, like they're the coolest and they kind of know that they are. Um, the fourth sibling or the youngest, they're just the princess and they can kind of get away with anything. But then like there's the third one, like the middle sibling, not the second one because the second one's great. But like the, the other middle sibling kind of just gets a little bit forgotten. Like I feel like that was my brother growing up. Maybe it was like mum and dad, they're kind of like outnumbered. It's like three on two now and... Yeah, we'll just kind of pray that you grow in patience and we'll just leave you in that high chair for ages. Or we'll drive places and we'll wonder, like, surely our family is bigger than this. I mean, surely there was meant to be a kid in that car seat, not like my brother sitting on the gutter at church, kind of just waiting, knowing that eventually we'll have like the drive of shame coming back just to kind of like sneakily putting him back in the car. I don't know, like, I just feel like that, Middle child was often forgotten. And maybe for him, maybe it was because he didn't have red hair, so he didn't stand out as much. He wasn't like a beacon. I don't know. But I feel like sometimes in life we can, we can feel like that. Like when, when, we, when we look at our world, when we kind of look beyond our immediate family, and that may be like, you know, more than four or six or ten, like when we look at our world, there are billions of people everywhere. And I just wonder whether you've ever felt, when you look at all the people around, hey, does anyone actually, like, know me? I don't know, maybe there's a couple, but does anyone actually know me? Sometimes I think we feel maybe perhaps a little bit overlooked, maybe forgotten. And if that's you, I want you to listen up, because I think that's all of us at some times. If that's you, I hope you listen up because there's something for you tonight. In the New Testament, Jesus, he often went around speaking to big crowds. But tonight in this passage, he singles out an individual from the, from the crowd. An individual who had a past and an, and an individual who probably felt a little bit alone. And so what we're going to be doing, we're going to be planning ourselves in John chapter 4. Uh, in this little section. So stay, if you don't have your Bibles, now's a good time to whip them open, see if what I'm saying is from there. That'd be good. Um, but in John chapter 4, we, we learn that, you know, Jesus' disciples, they've been baptizing some people and like there's been a bit of a swell of momentum. There's been like, like a lot's been happening. There's been like more than John the Baptist. So Jesus says, hey, we've got to make a move. We're going to journey now from Judea to Galilee because at this time his full identity was kind of still a little bit under wraps and he wanted to keep it that way for now. So they, they make the move, they make the journey and there's an interesting kind of sentence here in verse 4. Verse 4 says that Jesus had to travel through Samaria. Now I read that and I go, well... No, he didn't. 
Like, yes, it was the shortest route, but there were other routes that he could have gone around. And also just the fact that he was a Jew and Jews hated people from Samaria. Like there was this kind of long-standing conflict. And so like that phrase is unusual. Like, why did he have to do that? Well, what we're going to see later is Jesus had an appointment that he had to make and keep. He had a divine appointment. He, there was an individual there who had a story that he had to speak to. And so as Jesus and his disciples, as they travel through, it says that Jesus, he's worn out. He's weary from the journey. Now, that's pretty interesting because in John chapter 1, like Jesus is described as being God in flesh. And so he is totally God, but here we see his humanity. We know that he's also completely human because he's, well, he's weary. He's thirsty and he comes to this well and he sits there. And what we're going to be thinking about tonight is what happens at that well. What goes down? And so we read this in verse 7 when Jesus is at the well. It says, a woman from Samaria came to draw water. Give me a drink, Jesus said to her. For his disciples had gone into the town to buy food. Now, I don't know about you, but when I first read that, I thought, is Jesus being a little bit rude here? <laughs> like he just said, hey, give me a drink. Seems a little bit odd. Seems a little bit strange. There's something scandalous going on here, but it's not that. And it's what the woman says later, verse 9. She says, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? She asked him, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. See, the scandalous thing is this wasn't done. First of all, she was a woman, and women back then had a lower social standing. So for men to kind of initiate conversation with her would just, like, that's a big no-no. But also it says she's a Samaritan woman. And as I said, like, there's this history of hate. The Samaritans, they, they believed that the first Five books of the Old Testament, like that's their Bible, that's their scripture. But they were like a mixed race. And so the Jews, they like thought they were corrupt and they didn't like them. And so the expected thing when Jesus is at the well and this Samaritan woman's coming up, the expected thing for him would be to keep his mouth shut. You, Jesus, we're expecting you not to talk here. But what Jesus does is crazy. Like Jesus just decides to just kind of break age-old cultural and social barriers. And what he does is he initiates the conversation. He starts it. Give me a drink. Crazy. But the, the woman's kind of thinking why and Jesus goes on and he says why. Jesus answered in verse 10. He said, if you knew the gift of God and who is saying to you, give me a drink, you would ask him and he would give you living water. See, Jesus said, if you knew, like this woman clearly doesn't know who this guy is. She's trying to figure it out. But he said, if you really knew me, then you'd actually ask me for a drink and I'd give you living water water. See, the first big thing I want us to dwell on and think about tonight is this phrase, 
living water. Because the woman's clearly confused. Like she's probably like giving him a raised eyebrow or something because she's like, buddy, like you've got no bucket. Where are you going to get this like living or running water from? Like this well, if you hadn't figured it out, like it is deep. I don't know how you're going to go about this. And she says this in verse 11. So where do you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and livestock. I mean, you can see here, like she's trying to put the pieces together and she's like, like this is Jacob's well and Jacob, like his name changed to Israel. He's one of like the, the chief patriarchs of the Old Testament. I mean, what are you talking about? You're surely not greater than him. And then Jesus says this in verse 13. Jesus said, everyone who drinks from this water, like H2O, will get thirsty again. But whoever drinks from the water that I will give him will never get thirsty again, ever. In fact, the water that I will give him will become a well of water springing up within him for eternal life. See, Jesus seems to be talking about something different than just H2O. Like water you get from a well or for us from a tap. Because he says like this, this thing called living water, it comes from him. And he also says like it's something that's going to completely satisfy you. You're not going to be thirsty again. And it lasts because the person that takes it is actually going to get eternal life. Firstly, like, there's all this talk about living water. But secondly, we see that it's offered to the thirsty. There is living water. And secondly, it is offered to the thirsty. Verse 15, the, the woman's probably thinking, like, this sounds cool. And she says, sir, like, give me this water so that I will never get thirsty again. This sounds great. Whatever sort of water this is, she's probably still thinking it's water to get from the well. And then Jesus says something pretty crazy. He says this in verse 16. Go call your husband, he told her, and come back here. I don't know how the woman was feeling at this point. Like, I thought we were just talking about water. And now, like, you're bringing up my husband. Like, you just went there. Okay, you just went there. Like where's this conversation going? Like, what, what do you mean? And she says this in verse uh, 17, I don't have a husband. And Jesus just goes, yep, you correctly said I don't have a husband. You've had five. And the man that you now have is not your husband. What you've said is true. I just find it really fascinating that this whole time, like this woman, she's trying to like figure out who this guy is. She's trying to get to know him. And all along, he knew her. All along. The only details we get about her past is what we see here. Like we don't know whether she's been divorced or whether they left her or whether there was some immorality. Like we don't know. But what we do know is that she comes to the well by herself at midday, scorching heat. Now, both those things are unusual because often when women came to get water, they'd come in groups and they'd come in the morning or the evening, like when it was cool, not like in the heat. 
when the sun is beating down on you. But that's what this woman does. I mean, why is she coming when no one else would come? And why is she coming by herself? There's things from her past there. There's probably an element of shame. She's coming to the well wounded. She's coming to the well probably feeling deeply alone. And she, like, she's physically thirsty. She's getting water. But Jesus, what he does here is that he uncovers a deeper thirst that this woman has. I think we all, we all know the, the feeling of what it's like to be thirsty. Just like when you're in a long car trip, like when I was a kid and I'd try, try to like get my lanky legs to kind of get in the car and I'd just be kicking mum and the back of mum and dad's seat going, are we there yet? Can I have a drink? And I'd just like dream of like shoving my head under the cool tap and like letting it uh, like go over my head and drinking it up. Maybe that's just me. Maybe I'm weird. But I think we all know that feeling. But there are so many people in our worlds that aren't just like parched from long car trips. But there are people in our world who are thirsty in a deeper sense, like this woman. And why do I say this? Because there are so many people in our world that aren't satisfied. Like I found out apparently we spend on average three hours a day on social media. And that's just the average. I think there's probably like people bringing down that number. We spend a lot of time on it and these devices, like they pull us in and what they offer is never enough. And we seek different relationships and because we want to be known and we want to be loved and we want this job or this project or this trip. And, you know, like when we finally get the thing that we've craved so often, like it's, it doesn't quite hit the spot and we're kind of left wanting more and then more and then more. And then like this woman where we're still thirsty. <laughs> and perhaps maybe like this woman we're carrying around tender wounds just because of the ups and downs of life. Maybe that's you here tonight. I don't know. But there is good news tonight because there is living water for the thirsty. In the Old Testament, God, he... He often spoke to his people through, through these guys called the prophets. And, and one of these prophets was a guy called Jeremiah. And God spoke through Jeremiah to his people in Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13. And he says this, My people have committed two sin, sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns, that cannot hold water. See, the picture God gives of these people is they're kind of like a, a person that is stuck in the desert. Imagine you're that person and imagine you're stuck in the desert and you're kind of like walking through and like the sand is kind of like searing your feet and like the sun is just completely scorching you. I'm probably getting sunburnt, let's be honest. And, and what do you want more than anything else? Like you want water and imagine as you're walking through the desert you see in front of you this fountain and it's not just a little fountain it is a big fountain and it is flowing with clean fresh cold water 
Imagine you see that, but instead of going to it, even to just check it out, you turn to the side and you start digging holes in the ground to try to find some drops from the earth. It seemed a little bit odd. Like, you might think it's just a mirage, but at least go check it out. I mean, come on, it's, it's this fountain right in front of you. What we see is that this fountain, as it says in Jeremiah, is God, and he was right there in front of his people. And he was right there in front of this woman, and he's right there in front of us tonight. Later on in John, John chapter 7, verse 38, Jesus said this, Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. You might think that sounds strange, but then there's like a clarifying statement. And it says, now this, he said about the spirit. See, what Jesus has on offer is that by trusting in him, God, by his spirit, actually comes to dwell in our hearts. Where we'll be satisfied in him now, but that actually, he promises, that's actually going to well up and lead to eternal life where we will be with him and satisfied in him forever. There was this Christian leader, a bishop who lived around 400 AD, a guy called Augustine. Um, He wrote this book called The Confessions where he kind of outlines his life and what he was like before he knew Jesus. And it's pretty colored. Like he said, he stole And he had lots of lust in his heart and he committed adultery. He kind of did whatever he wanted. And what we see is that he was a guy who was thirsty. He was trying to make these dry cisterns. He was digging holes in the ground all around him. And yet he describes himself as having a restless heart. And then he famously said this, Our hearts are restless until... They find their rest in you, O God. There is good news tonight. There is living water on offer for the thirsty. But thirdly, what we see is that this living water comes from Jesus. And we see more into who he is and into his identity Because as after Jesus kind of exposes the past of this woman, like perhaps she's feeling vulnerable. I don't know. Maybe she wants to change the topic and she just goes, sir, I see you're a prophet. I mean, that makes sense. And so if you're a prophet, maybe I'll try to like divert this. And if you're a prophet, I'm going to bring up the biggest theological question that's kind of circling around at the moment. And so she asks this in verse 20, Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, yet you Jews say that the place to worship is in Jerusalem. So this big issue that she brings up is this kind of thing about worship. And worship is the idea of knowing God and living for him. And she kind of asks, like, where's the location where we do that? Where's the geographical place? Like, is it here or is it here or is it here? And Jesus just answers her in verse 23 and he says, An hour is coming and is now here when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. Yes, the Father wants such 
people to worship him. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. See, this idea of worship, this idea of like knowing God and living for him, like Jesus said, it's not going to be like at a certain location, what you were just talking about, but it's going to be within an individual. It's going to be for those who drink, those who have the spirit, and they will follow the one who is the truth. As we see in John 14, that is Jesus. You can see how even in that perhaps tangent, Jesus brings it right back to what he'd just been talking about. It's been a big day for this woman. (laughs) She probably thought it'd just be an ordinary day. I'll just, you know, I'll go out, I'll I'll avoid some people, I'll get my water, I'll go home, I'll be all good. And yet she meets this man and thoughts are probably just swirling in her mind and it kind of feels like she just kind of throws her hands up in the air and she just says you know what i know that messiah that this messiah who is also called the christ like he's coming and when he comes like he'll let us know what's what he's going to explain these things to us she probably thought this is going to be like a maybe a second moses the, the promised rescuer and what jesus says next i think is probably one of the most jaw-dropping and like mic-drop moments of the whole of this gospel. It's a big moment because what Jesus says next to this woman, in verse 26, he says, I am he, Jesus told her, the one speaking to you. I'm he. I'm the one the first five books of the Bible pointed to, but I'm the one the whole of the Old Testament pointed to. The promised saviour. God in flesh. There's good news tonight. There is living water for the thirsty. And we see that it comes from the Christ. But what do we do with all this? Because at the start I said like, There are some times in life where we can feel like the middle child and we can just feel like, does anyone really know me? We just feel like another number in the crowd, just another stat that people just kind of brush past. And what I want to say to you tonight is Jesus saw that Samaritan woman and he sees you. He sees right into the depths of your heart. He sees all your past wounds. He sees all your past hurt. He sees it. He sees all those sin strongholds. He sees the thirst. And do you know what he says? He doesn't send us away. He says, come and drink. Come and drink. Come and drink of this living water. Like you didn't didn't earn this water. It's free. It was free for you. It wasn't free for, for me like Jesus Jesus paid for it by his life, by the innocent dying for the guilty. It's us. It's free for us. And he says, come and drink. And when you do, you'll experience real satisfaction and you'll gain eternal life. Come and drink. And that means come and trust me. Trust me of what I've done and who I am. Maybe that's you tonight. 
And maybe there's some of you, you have come and you have tasted, you have trusted in Jesus. And I just pray for you that as you scroll through social media, as you sit at family dinners and you're kind of dreaming of something better, as you're thinking about things coming up and, oh man, I wish if only I had this or this or this or this, if that's you, I just pray that you'd remember this Jesus and that he alone satisfies. And I, and I pray that as we remember that we would actually respond like this woman because after the woman, after she leaves Jesus, like this woman, she, she came to the well full of shame and yet she leaves unashamed. Like, like she, she leaves and she goes back to her town and she's just like, come and see. Like You've got to come and see this one that he told me everything I ever did. Could he be the Christ? See, I pray that we as a church, we would remember Jesus. We would remember the, the one who made an appointment with us even when we weren't expecting it that we would remember the one who met us where we were at, that we would remember the one who is exceedingly patient with us. We would remember the one who exposes our sin and has done that and yet gives us life. I pray that we'd remember him. And as we remember him, as we go in life, when we're chatting to our neighbours and our friends and our family, that we just say, hey, come and see. Come and see this one who offers living water to the thirsty, the Christ. Come and see. Let me pray as the band comes up. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your word. And Father, I just, you're so gracious. We are so undeserving. And yet in your love and mercy, you offer us what we do not deserve. And that is life and eternal life. That's crazy love. I pray that we continue to consider and remember and marvel at this Jesus. Amen.